Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. In the first half of the program today, we consider the question, should Dixie be retained in the name Dixie State College, or as supporters hope, Dixie State University later this year? One group argues that the word Dixie carries negative connotations and implies a connection to slavery and the Confederacy and therefore should be dropped. Others say the name Dixie was only given to the area because of Mormon pioneers' efforts to grow cotton. It has heritage and should be retained. We'll talk with former president of Dixie State College, Doug Alder, and with our Southern Utah correspondent, Chris Holmes. In the second half of the program, license plate scanners. It's considered controversial by some, including uh, Senator Todd Weiler. Uh, These uh, are uh, scanners of license plates. Police say they've helped recover stolen vehicles and uh, other police work. Senator Weiler calls the technology cool but creepy, a big brother aspect, he alleges. Support for Access Utah comes from Crumb Brothers Artisan Bread at 300 South and 300 West in Logan. Now open Monday through Saturday until 2, offering a changing menu of a specialty salad, French breakfast pastries with local seasonal fruits, and lunch sandwiches. Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Police say they've recovered stolen vehicles using license plate readers or scanners and can immediately flag unregistered or uninsured motorists. Utah sheriffs have told legislators that scanner information kept for long periods can help solve homicides or kidnappings. In the second half of the program, about half an hour away, we'll talk about license plate scanners. Uh, Some uh, people think that it's too much of a big brother aspect. And one senator, Senator Todd Weiler of Woods Cross, is uh, going to be running legislation in the upcoming session to restrict the use of information gained from these scanners. He says, on the one hand, this technology is cool. On the other, it's creepy. We'll be talking with uh, Todd Weiler and with Sheriff Todd Richardson, Davis County Sheriff's Office. That's in the second half of the program. In the first half, right now, we're going to be talking about the name of Dixie State College. And supporters hope soon that will be Dixie State University or some other name. In fact, tonight, there will be a revealed information from a study, a survey of the community taken by Sorensen Advertising. Uh, it's happening at 7 o'clock tonight and uh, revealing the preferences of the community in this. Uh, One group has argued the word Dixie carries negative connotations, implies a connection to slavery and the Confederacy, would uh, hurt uh, the image of the university as it makes transition to university status, and would hurt student and faculty recruitment, among other problems. Those on the other side, which include a majority of the community, it looks like, uh, say that uh, the name was only given because the Mormon pioneers' efforts to grow cotton, that it's part of the, the area's heritage, we're going to talk about this with our Southern Utah correspondent, Chris Holmes. Welcome to the program. Thanks, Tom. Always good to be with you. And we welcome in a former president of Dixie State College, uh, Doug Alder. Thanks for joining us. You bet. Uh, I should say that uh, Professor Alder and I have a connection, which I'm very grateful for. He was my honors professor up here at Utah State University when he was a professor up here, so... I can remember that well. <laughs> it's, it's been a little while, but uh, fond memories, at least on, on my side. What do you mean a little while? It's only been 35 years. <laughs> that's, that, that's right. Only, only 35 years. That's right. Uh, let's start with you, Chris Holmes, on this. Maybe you can uh, set some context for, for this. Uh, there is a group, it seems like it's a minority group, but uh, a group that's saying we should, whatever we do when we go to university status, Dixie should be dropped. Why are they saying that? Well, as uh, the 
college moves toward university status, of course, the idea is uh, in the true sense of the word university, we want to be able to uh, uh, take in all perspectives. And uh, in the greater global context, the name uh, definitely has a, uh, a negative connotation to it. And in the view of this particular group of people, in order to move onward and upward and outward, so to speak, uh, we should adopt uh, a name that does not uh, so negatively reflect uh, in, in that larger context. And uh, this, as I mentioned, this does not seem to reflect the majority view. It does, it does seem like, uh, the, uh, for example, you just reported a couple of days ago for us that the uh, St. George City Council and the Washington uh, County Council have, uh, have voted to support the name Dixie. That's correct, and uh, there was also a survey in the local Spectrum uh, daily newspaper uh, that uh, reflected the same sentiments, uh, giving uh, a number of options. Over 60% of the 100, uh, excuse me, the 1,575 respondents, 60% of them said uh, that their chosen name would be Dixie State University. Hmm. Uh, let's turn to uh, President Alder, former president of the university, and uh, you've written uh, a piece which I've read. Uh, you're advocating that uh, we retain the name uh, Dixie. Why, why is that? Well, the name Dixie is 100 years old. This community is very, very committed to the college. The college has been created almost completely by community support. Uh, the name Dixie was a nickname that the local people adopted on their own down here, meaning South, Cotton, and Hot. There was never any link to the Confederacy. Uh, my friend Will Bagley and a couple of others have suggested that the people that settled here were former slave owners and, and Southerners. There, is, there were a few Southerners, no slaves, there was never any connection or support for the Confederacy. The word Dixie has never had anything to do with slavery or with the Confederacy. Hmm. I'm reading but, a, an article in the uh, Salt Lake Tribune. One former student, uh, let's see, Brody Mikesell, uh, or maybe he's a current student at that point, uh, he said he, he didn't have a problem with this until he started leafing through some old yearbooks, which, by the way, was called the Confederate, he says. Yeah. And uh, into the 1990s, he points out, you have pictures of uh, students in blackface dressed as Confederate soldiers staging slave auctions. Uh, there at least, uh, at that point, seemed to be uh, some problems of some, some bleed-through of this idea. When I grew up in Salt Lake City, I used to go to the Coon Chicken Inn. Let me tell you, the whole nation used to have black faces, including Salt Lake. It was part of a of a uh, entertainment deal that went all over the country. It was not unique to Washington County. Hmm. Uh, Mr. Maxwell is saying he's seeing this up into the 1990s for for St. George. Yes, when I was president, we were uh, engaged in abandoning the name Rebel. We left it to Las Vegas. By the way, the name Rebel was not adopted as the uh, uh, team name until in the 1950s. Before that, Dixie was known as the Flyers. Hmm. Uh, it's true. Uh, some of the, the yearbooks did have Confederate symbols in them, but uh, that was all over the United States. Hmm. Uh, and... I guess the, the, the point that uh, the opponents of this would say that, 
having this Dixie uh, so late into our history where other areas had uh, discarded the, some of this uh, racist attitude earlier w- would only hurt the image of the university, that Dixie is not only refers to southern Utah but, but to a very uh, specific time and place in American history. When I was at Utah State, there was a movement to drop the name Aggies that was considered that the college was no longer agricultural and that Aggies was, was provincial and outmoded and Utah State was a national university, and they proposed changing the name. I can tell you that the whole Utah State community opposed that thing, and it is still called Aggies, and I think there's an Aggies in Texas and so forth. These regional uh, nicknames are something that people love, and ours happens to be Dixie. Hmm. Uh, one, I, I talked to, oh, a month or so ago with a member of the of a group, formal group, was trying to get rid of the name Dixie in, in Dixie State College, and uh, she told me that uh, she was told by at least one uh, member of the faculty, a potential member of the faculty, on his recruiting visit, uh, that he received some racist comments um, in, ter- in terms of you, you'd you be able to come here and, and associate with, with mostly whites. I don't know if you as president uh, ever encountered any of that, or, or I guess you would say that uh, that doesn't exist much at Dixie State I can College. remember when we were trying to hire a black person to come to the campus, and he says, no, I'm not going to come. I would never be able to find soul food in St. George. <laughs> It's true. We do have a few black people on the faculty. They definitely have a challenge of adopting to a complete white setting. Some of them find it uh, very uh, successful. Some find that they want to be where there is more of a setting for for the black culture. That's true. Uh, do you? Uh, I guess you would say that you don't think you don't. You're not worried about this hurting uh, student and faculty recruitment. The name Dixie in the, in the. You know, I don't know how many people you've talked to in Ogden, but when Weber State became a university, did anybody in the United States have any idea what the word Weber meant? I don't think there's very many people in in Weber County that know what it means. It has to do with fur trappers. Uh, there was no no concern about keeping it. Utah is still known as the Redskins. Uh, this issue is is a national one, and this is our version of it down here. Just for kicks, I opened up the phone book. There are three columns of institutions down here with the name Dixie. Dixie National Forest, Dixie Escalante uh, uh, Electric Company, on and on. Are we going to change the name of Dixie National Forest? Uh, it's it's not necessary. I'd like to also point out some very important scholars have been uh, cited in the newspapers, the Tribune and others of late. Tom Alexander did a thorough discussion pointing out that uh, people who had uh, point, claimed there was a Southern and slave uh, connection were not correct. Greg Prince, very important national scholar in Washington, D.C., uh, with roots in St. George argued the same thing. Uh, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not from southern Utah. I came here, from, I grew up in Salt Lake, was at Utah State a long time, came down here. I'm, I'm a newcomer, but I, I've been very comfortable with Dixie. I've been all over the United States. People do ask me about Dixie. But, you know, when I became president, 
I would go up to Salt Lake to meetings, and people say, how are you enjoying your presidency in Cedar City? They didn't know that St. George was in Utah. I think things have changed now uh, very distinctly, and and the name Dixie has not been a, a problem. Hmm. Chris Holmes, I uh, wonder if you, you talk to people in, in that area. W- what sorts of comments are you getting, and which way are they trending? Well, of course, uh, the overwhelming uh, majority in the local area support uh, the name Dixie. Uh, it, it, it comes down to the old... Uh, argument of tradition as opposed to uh, uh, the possibility of offense. Uh, and the question that a lot of people ask down here is if uh, offense is in the eyes of the offended, but if one is offended even when no offense is intended, whose fault is that? Uh, so uh, that, that's, that characterizes a lot of the, the feelings of the locals uh, as far as that's concerned. A, a little point here. When uh, Dixie went from two-year to four-year, the Board of Regents changed the name to Dixie, Dixie State College of Utah. And I think the critics of using the name Dixie have a very important, justifiable point. I think it's very important that whenever a person has a certificate from Dixie State College or a list of all of their credits and they're applying to another university, People need to know where Dixie State is. It isn't in Alabama. And I tell, uh, told the Board of Regents then, and I'd make a point now, when, we, when Westminster College changed its name because there were other Westminster Colleges in Utah, they changed it to Westminster College of Salt Lake. So when, when we became four-year, the Regents changed it to Dixie State College of Utah. It's true. People need to know that Dixie State is not uh, somewhere else. And so the name uh, Dixie State University needs to be clear, probably by adding the word of Utah, uh, to, to make that clear. Mm. I think the critics' point is very valid, mm. that they need to make sure that people know where Dixie State is. It's, mm. it's in Utah, not somewhere else. But uh, you, as you've made clear, you you don't have a problem. You, you don't think it is a problem that uh, you don't think there's a connection, a Dixie, with, with the Confederacy, with, with slavery, well, you et cetera. Know, a president of a college, you think he has a lot of academic important things to do, and I thought that's what I was supposed to do. But I, it took me two days to find out my job was to raise money. And let me tell you, the loyalty of the people and the donors have made it possible four times for this institution to survive the attempts to close it and to build this fabulous campus. It's been done by the local donors and other donors. Their, their attachment to the institution is very important, and to offend them is the stupidest thing in the world. Somebody says, have you noticed how Coca-Cola has got rid of the word Coke? You don't change your brand. We are talking about uh, Dixie State College. Uh, some in the community want uh, the name to change, drop Dixie, go to something else, especially as university status is contemplated. Others, as you've been hearing, uh, say that it's part of uh, Dixie's heritage and there would be a drop-off in, in uh, donations and other problems if we uh, change uh, from the name Dixie. Uh, you're welcome to join this conversation at 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495, toll-free. 
uh, anywhere you are. And uh, you can e- reach us by email as well, upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com. We have with us former president of Dixie State College, Doug Alder, and our Southern Utah correspondent, Chris Holmes. Again, the number is 1-800-826-1495. We have eight or nine minutes or so left in this uh, conversation. Uh, Chris Holmes, I wanted to ask you about this aspect of it. Uh, university mm-hmm. status is contemplated, and some are hoping that as soon as this year for Dixie State College. I wonder what the attitude of those in Cedar City is. Uh, Southern Utah University, that, that was always it seemed to be the plan. Uh, Southern Utah University would be the, would be the bigger institution. There have uh, been some expressions uh, on the part, I'm thinking uh, particularly of uh, State uh, Representative Evan Vickers, who was a bit concerned that it, it leaves the area bereft of a junior college, which serves a certain sector of uh, the community. And, uh, you know, there is that concern. But uh, in, in terms of support for university status uh, coming from Cedar City here, it's overwhelming. I was on a radio program with uh, University President Michael T. Benson of Southern Utah University uh, less than a month ago, and he voiced those sentiments that uh, Southern Utah University is absolutely fully behind uh, Dixie State College becoming a university. President Alder, you've been in, uh, you know, of course, you taught it here at Utah State University and uh, president of the uh, Dixie State College. And you're very familiar, I'm sure, in academia of this uh, complaint of some people of mission creep. Uh, on the other hand, every uh, community wants uh, the, their pride of their institution. You mentioned there's a long history, and uh, Dixie State College has survived several attempts to fold it into other institutions or to, to kill it off. This this must be a, a point of pride for you that it's uh, being considered for university status. I had the privilege recently of writing the history of the college for its centennial, and uh, gone through all of those stories. Uh, of course, initially Dixie State Dixie College was very small, 300 students. When it started, there were 40 students. So the state didn't really think it was necessary. And even when I became president, there were only 2,000 students. Now we're going to soon be 10,000 students, so that issue is over. Hmm. But uh, um, when I was at Utah State, uh, Weber State was about to become a university, and both Utah State and Weber State and and uh, University of Utah were just lividly opposed mm. to Weber State becoming a university, as was the Regents. Mm. And they had a little-known president by the name of Stephen Nadold, who was president and had led the uh, effort to become <laughs> a state university, and now he's here. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's been a very contentious issue uh, every time an institution moved from a, a community college to a four-year college and from a four-year college to a university. Some call that creep. But the fact of the matter is that this little county down here that used to be 10,000 people in 1960 is now nearly 200,000 people. And uh, we have five industrial parks. And, and you know, it's, it's no longer just a little something. And uh, the same is certainly true of Utah Valley University, which used to, I can remember, when it was in trailers. And now it's just 34,000 students. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's not institutional creep. That's development. Mm -hmm. And so the state is is developing. What about this point that uh, the area of southern Utah, if it's not going to be Dixie State College or Dixie State University, needs a junior college? 
needs a junior college? Yeah, some oh, people are I'm saying that. Oh, I'm glad you brought that up. Now, you need to understand that 80% of the degrees that Dixie State College gives are two-year degrees. Hmm. Dixie State in no way is abandoning its two-year function. Hmm. That, that would seem to argue against going to university status, though. Not at all. <laughs> the way an area develops is by getting higher education skills for the people who live there. The people who graduate with a bachelor's degree from Dixie State are largely people who used to have a two-year degree from Dixie State. And, that's, and they are immediately hired. We have a fabulous nursing and health programs. This, we have one of the finest hospitals in the United States. They desperately need those people. We have a huge computer uh, high-technology industry down here. They need people. They need people with master's degrees. And so uh, a good portion of the people who will do university work will immediately be hired by the industrial base down here. Hmm. Uh, Chris Holmes, I wonder from your perspective, people you talk to, uh, back to the name Dixie, Mm-hmm. President Alder uh, pointed out that uh, if, if people want to change the name of the college, they maybe should change the name of the National Forest and and many other things that are named Dixie. Uh, and my question Dixie is, what, and the regional hospital, yes. Um, so, uh, Chris, I wonder if people think about it at all, and sometimes this just becomes background noise, what connotation do people in southern Utah place on, on Dixie? Well, in terms of uh, people here in southern Utah, of course, the connotation is the one that Dr. Alder has described. Uh, Those uh, opponents to the name Dixie, uh, though they might be in a minority, are suggesting that universities are in a different category than uh, uh, national forests or or other private businesses, that uh, as the name university applies, it ought to take in uh, all perspectives. And, and that's the argument that they propose. Let me just add, it is to be a state university. It is not to be a University of Utah or Utah State. Those are research universities. There. Mm. This is to be a state university like Weber and uh, UVU. What, uh, I want to have you respond to that, uh, that argument that, uh, that Chris just put forward, that he's heard from people, that there's a, d- a difference between naming a university and naming a, uh, you know, a forest or, or a business. A little more weight given to, to a name of a university. If you were the University of Michigan or the University of Utah, yes. But Weber State is named after a fur trapper that no one has ever heard of. We, we are regional institutions. We are not national institutions. By the way, the uh, results of this uh, Sorensen Advertising uh, survey are going to be uh, revealed tonight, 7 o'clock, on the Dixie State uh, College campus. Uh, and uh, I think the Spectrum of St. George uh, did a survey. The, the front runners, maybe help me, Chris, were Dixie State University and Dixie University, and I can't remember what the number three was. Yes, uh, number one was Dixie State University, 60%. St. George University was number two at 10%. So there's a fall-off from 60 to 10% between one and two. And then Utah Southwestern University was at 8.9%. That was number three. Mm-hmm. Which of those uh, floats your boat, uh, President? Uh... Well, my vote is definitely Dixie State University of Utah. Okay. All right. What are you hearing, Chris? People are favoring, uh, as they did in the uh, in the spectrum, uh survey Dixie State University? Yes, yes, overwhelmingly so. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and um, President Alder, I, I wonder, uh, we're coming to the end of the, the program. Uh, last comments on, on this. Uh, by the way, are you going to be attending tonight? Oh, you bet. It's just across the street. Yeah, very good. Uh, so uh, your, I guess your, your closing argument, why, why it should be Dixie State University of, what did you call it, of Utah? Of Utah, mm-hmm. I would say, so that we make sure that people who are sending off their applications uh, don't have a problem. And uh, Chris, I guess you're probably encountering the the same percentages. People probably are centering on Dixie State University. Yes, uh huh. And as That's you correct. reported, the the city council, the the county commission, or council, I can't remember what it is in Washington County, is is definitely in favor of retaining the name Dixie. That's correct. Mm-hmm. It reflects that sixty uh, percent uh, opinion that's uh, reflected in the newspaper survey. Mm-hmm. Well, we reached the end of uh, this half of the program. Uh, Doug Alder, former president of Dixie State College, thank you so much. Thank you, Tom. And USU, go Aggies. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. President Alder still an Aggie at heart. Uh, and uh, Chris Holmes, our Southern Utah correspondent. Thanks so much, Chris. You're welcome. It's always my pleasure, Tom. We're going to take a brief break, and when we come back, we'll uh, switch gears. We'll talk about uh, new technology. Uh, which is uh, law enforcement officials say is very useful. We're talking about license plate readers or scanners. These are cameras uh, set uh, by the highway. Uh, They scan the uh, license plates as they go by. Police say that they can get information about a person or vehicle from the license plate, and uh, some use special software. Uh, Sheriffs have uh, told legislators that scanner information kept for long periods can help solve homicides or kidnappings, for example. But Senator Todd Weiler of uh, Woods Cross uh, plans to introduce legislation in uh, January to make clear information cannot be kept in a database longer than six months or subpoenaed for in divorce and civil litigation. He calls this technology cool but creepy. We'll be talking with uh, Senator Weiler and with uh, Sheriff Todd Richardson from uh, Davis County when we return. Christopher O'Reilly here, and this week's From the Top is dedicated to folks in your public school. Yeah, I want to thank my high school English teacher. In, in sixth grade, Ohio. Mr. Kramer recognized me as a leader. This song just... goes out to my high school choir director, my role model, and life coach. That's From the Top from NPR. Friday afternoons at 2, Sunday evenings at 9 on Utah Public Radio. Skip the waiting room and join us for another edition of Zorba Pastor on Your Health. You'll get all that great advice without those lousy magazines, plus a heart-healthy recipe for... Mediterranean lamb medley. We always have a great time, so will you on Zorba Pastor on Your Health from PRI, Public Radio International. Friday morning at 10 on Utah Public Radio. You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We turn next to uh, a, a new technology, which uh, law enforcement says is very helpful. We're talking about license plate readers, which are cameras used by police to get information about a person or vehicle from the car's license plate. Uh, sheriffs in uh, southern Utah have wanted to set these up on Interstate 15, for example, uh, to uh, catch drug runners. And uh, police say they've recovered stolen vehicles using license plate readers. They can immediately flag unregistered or uninsured motorists. Utah sheriffs have told legislators that uh, scanner information kept for long periods can help solve homicides or kidnappings. 
But there are potential problems. Senator Todd Weiler, Republican from Woods Cross, says he plans to introduce legislation in the upcoming session to make clear information cannot be kept in the databank longer than six months or subpoenaed in divorce or other civil litigation. Uh, This is his fun quote. On the one hand, this technology is cool. On the other hand, it's creepy. It's that big brother aspect. We welcome in Senator Todd Weiler. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. And uh, Sheriff Todd Richardson from uh, Davis County. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Uh, Let me start with you, Sheriff. Um, This uh, obviously has uh, good applications for law enforcement. Maybe you could outline some of those helpful uh, applications of license plate readers. You know, on a law enforcement level, it uh, identifies uh, stolen vehicles, uh, vehicles wanted on a national level, uh, fighting theft rings, collecting evidence, investigations. Uh, The applications of this technology are, are kind of expanding rapidly. Uh, so uh, tell me how this works. You just have a, a camera set up by the side of the, the road, and it goes off every time a car comes by? What uh, what happens? Yes, there are, there are actually uh, several applications. We have a, a static setup that uh, can be set up alongside the freeway uh, to uh, take photographs of vehicles going by. Uh, they can take uh, photographs at a rate of about 3,000 a minute. Uh, so it makes sure and, and captures the pictures that go by. Uh, but there's also dynamic uh, systems that we use inside of vehicles driving around and uh, uh, just increase the efficiency of the uh, public safety op- officer that, doing his duties that he does right now. So then what happens to the data? You've got, I uh, imagine, thousands of photos. And, well, and then... you know, uh, right now uh, we don't uh, collect uh, the data uh, as far as the lo- you know, speaking locally and, and from what I know, I know Sheriff Winder in Salt Lake County and, and myself here in Davis County, uh, we don't uh, keep the uh, information at all. This is something that is a technology that's developing and, and will uh, be there in the future. Uh, so uh, you're just kind of looking at this in real time, and how do you flag problems then? Well, um, the system that uh, was being referred to earlier is a system that uh, was being done through the federal government, the DEA, uh, in correlation uh, with an anti-drug uh, trafficking uh, type of a program. And they do keep a database, and uh, uh, it would be kept back in, in Virginia. But as far as local use, uh, this is something that we do not uh, keep any database here whatsoever, and we utilize it on a real-time basis. So uh, it is in the mobile setting in a patrol car. Uh, the computer flashes a stolen car or a wanted vehicle out of Maine for a murder suspect or more those type of applications. Oh, I see. I, I was trying to understand how it how, works. So uh, the, the reader would uh, would scan a license plate, and then that would be flagged as, okay, this, this vehicle is stolen. Exactly. Okay. And and the system that the DEA is using in some areas, and I believe some sheriffs in, in southern Utah wanted to install this, and I, I don't think it has been, uh, that would involve, I think, software, and, and you'd, you'd keep the data for a longer time. Exactly. And that's, the, that's that static system that uh, is ran through the DEA and their collection uh, ability and stored in Virginia. Hmm. Senator Weiler, uh, you, you say on the one hand this technology is cool, which it certainly is. You call it also creepy. It's the big brother aspect. What problems do you have with it? Well, um, and I agree with everything Sheriff Richardson has said, and we know each other and we like each other, and um, I'm not trying to do anything to hamper that real-time law enforcement capability. We're actually recovering 1,300 stolen cars a year in Utah utilizing this mobile 
uh, automatic number plate recognition um, technology, which has actually existed since the late 1970s. But um, the, and and what Sheriff Richardson is saying, is, if I understand him, is that Davis County, as a county, uh, Davis County Sheriff's Department is not storing this data. But what um, what your listeners need to know is our state tax commission has 12, about a dozen of these mobile. Um, vehicles that they that they lend out on a daily basis or weekly basis to jurisdictions in Davis County and throughout the state, and that all of the license plate numbers and the dates and the locations and the times are harvested in that system, and the state of Utah is keeping that on a database, and that is something that can be accessed and searched by law enforcement. And that's the creepy component is that, you know, um, if, if you're a suspect in a crime or something, they could go back and try to see where, where your vehicle was spotted, you know, a year ago, two years ago, et cetera. And there are a lot of people in the legislature and, and citizens that just think that that it kind of constitutes a, a search without a warrant. You know, if, 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 you're, if your vehicle was scanned at a Walmart one day and it was at a Kmart the next day, whatever, and then they can go back in time and kind of, you know, see patterns of where you are at what times of day, et cetera, things like that. Let me just uh, see if I understand this. You're saying the, the, these mobile vehicles that are taking these uh, photos, they're, they're, they're sent out, they're leased by the tax commission? Well, the tax commission has them available because in addition to looking for recovered, for, for stolen vehicles, they're looking for vehicles with insurance that has lapsed. And they're looking for vehicles whose registration has expired. Oh, I see. And so it's in the taxpayer, it's in the tax commission's, you know, vested interest to, to, to catch these people and either get them off the road or get them in compliance. And I don't want to stop that at all. It's more this database that Utah is, does maintain, and this data, once it's harvested, the question becomes, how long do you store it, and who should have access to it? And those are questions that we have not addressed with state law. And all I'm saying is, let's have that discussion, and let's come up with a, with a state law that, that, that we're comfortable with. And, you know, six months is my proposal uh, starting off. Right now, we know it's being kept for at least a year. Uh, the ACLU is saying you shouldn't keep it more than a few hours. And so, you know, there, there's a wide divergent range of views. But, but, this, but, but what I want to emphasize is this data is being harvested in Utah, is being collated, is being kept, and is being accessed by law enforcement. And I, again, I'm okay with that, but it shouldn't stay there forever. Mm-hmm. So this database that Utah is keeping, uh, that, is that coming, it's coming from these uh, tax commissions, coming from law enforcement as it, well? Where is it coming com- from? It's coming from the tax commission loaner vehicles, and it's also coming from other agencies like Ogden, and I think are kind of dumping into it. And I'm actually glad to hear Sheriff Richardson say that Davis County is not not sharing that that data because I am fine with them catching criminals. I, I want that, but it's the retroactive search without a warrant um, that that does cause me a little bit of concern. Uh, license plate readers or scanners. This is a newish technology whereby uh, the license plates are are read, scanned, and then that can help police to. Uh, catch uh, stolen vehicles and, and the like. Uh, some uh, sheriffs are saying that uh, if that scan information is kept for long periods, it could help solve homicides or kidnappings. Uh, there are potential problems, however. And Senator Weiler is uh, saying w- where Utah does not have a law governing the use, collection, or lifespan of uh, of this data, they, it should have a law. So he's uh, trying to start that conversation. We're talking with Senator Todd Weiler, Republican from Woods Cross. We're also talking with Sheriff Todd Richardson from uh, Davis County. You're welcome to join this conversation at 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495. 
uh, or you can email us at upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. Um, so I, I wonder where you come down to this, uh, Sheriff. Uh, the, you you say your your office and some of the offices, the sheriff's offices that you know, are not keeping this uh, data long term. ACLU is saying that uh, only a few hours. Seems like you're you're following in with that. Um, but some of the sheriffs or other sheriffs are saying that if it were kept for long periods, it could help solve homicides or kidnappings, for example. You know, uh, to be you know quite frank, what's going on down in the South End is. Uh, we're in the in the job of keeping people safe, and and as a law enforcement, we're up against multi-billion-dollar organization where the sole purpose of those organization is to put illegal drugs into the hands of our youth and our families, and to you know corrupt their lives. And when we look at it, uh, we know that this is a developing technology. Uh, they were using it in correlation with uh, the DEA, and and uh, putting it in those drug corridors that we know. Uh, drugs are coming into the state or coming through the state, and that's where that uh, correlation uh, came in with the, in that level. Mm. And it can be also used, uh, like Senator Weiler uh, talked about, uh, for the investigative purposes. And and those are the types that we have the legislature there to do is to set the parameters that they want us to function under uh, when we do our investigations. And, and if, the, if the information is kept for one year, it's kept for one year, we'll use a, a subpoena to go get the information. Uh, if it's kept for six months and that's the legislative uh, decision, then uh, it's kept for six months and that's what we'll use to uh, investigate our crimes. So you, you would welcome some guidelines from the legislature? Absolutely. That's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I don't think uh, law enforcement is a, is a single role. It's a correlation between what the legislative set, uh, you know, uh, legislature sets up as parameters for us to use, and, and we'll use that to do our job the best we can. We have a caller, Robert in Hurricane. Robert, uh, welcome to the program. Hi. Uh, hi. Uh, go ahead with your question. I really don't have a question. I have a comment. Okay. I was, uh, yes, go ahead. I was, <laughs> sorry, it's it's a little bit hard to explain. I was uh, I got tagged with my I was investigating uh, black tar heroin that was coming through Utah, and they used the license plate reader to uh, arrest me because I was investigating uh, where the black tar heroin was coming from. I did 20 days in Juab County Jail, and as a result of it, I got my Social Security disability without ever filling out the application for it. Hmm. So are you in favor or not of these? <laughs> this With that, I was working for Homeland Defense okay. before it got changed to Homeland Security. Okay. Yeah, interesting. Um, uh, there's so many marijuana fields that's been grown in Utah, in southern Utah, for the last 33 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, it all started with the Mountain Meadows Massacre. Interesting that the show is right after the Dixie mm-hmm. name change, where the South will rise again. That all had to do with Mason Gold. Hmm. Well, let's get reaction from uh, from Senator Weiler or uh, Sheriff Richardson. Uh, thanks for the call. Um, I don't know. Sheriff Richardson's an in-law. <laughs> uh, kind of a higher... has to do with higher education. Um, I believe my in-laws with... Homeland Defense money come up with a program that, yeah. Let's get reaction, uh, uh, if any, from uh, from Senator Weiler or, or Sheriff Richardson. There, um, there was a there was a lot in there. 
Yeah, he's, he's probably a little confused on some timelines on how things took place. But, uh, you know, again, I want to reiterate that uh, uh, law enforcement wants to work hand-in-hand -hand with the legislature in making sure that uh, – the technology as it's developed and now as it's utilized currently in the in the state that it's in, uh, that we have parameters set forth uh, that we follow and that we move forward together uh, to fight these multi-billion-dollar organizations uh, in bringing drugs into our state. Mm -hmm. You know, and 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 my reaction is is I I, I want to you know I I want to utilize this technology as well and I and I want drugs off the streets and and all of that the. The problem becomes is you know civil liberty and and uh, and those are not there's no easy right or wrong answer and and let me just give the case of uh, you know some people have contacted me and said well gee if we use this license plate reader technology maybe we could have caught Josh Powell you know assuming that he was guilty in murdering his wife which we'll never know now I guess um, but. Um, but you know that's a slippery slope because if we install the chip, you know, computerized chip in every human being the, the second after they were born, you know, we could tr we could solve a lot more crimes. And yet, n no one, I think, in the United States would say that that's that's a reasonable or a constitutional suggestion. And so, so the question becomes: as this technology emerges, not not just uh, license plate reader technology, but all technology, you know, where are we going to draw those lines? And that's, and I think Sheriff Richardson's on the same page. That's that's as I am, that the legislature ought to be looking at those issues and they ought to be, you know, making those parameters. And, and that, that's all I want to do with this mm -hmm. bill. You uh, Not only would you introduce uh, a, a limit on how long this can be kept in the database, you say your your starting position is six months, but uh, it sounds like you're flexible. I uh, am, I am. Uh, you, you say that um, you want to make it clear that this data cannot be subpoenaed in divorce or other civil litigation. What What's the danger there? Well, you know, uh, and, and let me just go all the way back 70 years or so. When Congress first authorized the creation and use of Social Security numbers, the American public was promised adamantly promised that they would never be used for identification purposes. Well, we all know how that turned out. Once once that toothpaste is out of the tube, it's hard to put back in there. So once now that we have this database, now that we're adding to it every day, the question becomes how is it going to be used? I would like to see it I'd like to see that database, you know, under lock and key and 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 my proposal will be that that you have to uh, get a warrant from a signed by a judge to 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 search through that database. Right now all you have to do is enter a case number, a police case number, and you know, my concern is that, you know, I don't I don't want um you know, a, a dirty cop, you know, checking out his girlfriend, you know, his girlfriend's license plate and his sister's license plate and just, you know, seeing where people are and, um, or, or you know, and, and I don't use that term lightly, but I don't want that information used uh, trivially or or I, I don't want divorce attorneys using that. I, I have been a divorce attorney, so, but I, I think it should be used purely for, you know, legitimate law enforcement purposes. If we're going to have a database, it ought to be fairly stringent. Um, uh, I'm quoting here from a Desert News article, uh, Beaver County Sheriff Cameron Noel. I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with, with him yeah. and his, his views. He's one advocating for um, putting readers in southern Utah and to help uh, mainly with with uh, catching uh, drug smugglers, but, but other uh, criminals. He says it's like any uh, a tool out there. If it's abused, our rights are going to be violated, but you have to have some trust in law enforcement to do the right thing. He's sort of advocating, it sounds like, to, for a little looser restrictions. Yeah, and, and I agree with him. We, we, you know, we we have. I support. I fully support law enforcement. I think we. You know, we've had a recent example in the media of maybe one that was a little bit rogue. And 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 uh, you know, you, you know, there's there's always a few bad apples in any in any group of any 
any profession, um, and I'm not anti-law enforcement, but you know, like Sheriff Richardson said, the legislature's job is to to look at these and set guidelines, and then law enforcement will will live within those. And I think uh, Sheriff Noel and I probably would not agree um, on, on what the the proper restrictions are, and that's okay. That That's a healthy debate that we should be having as a state. I believe uh, last year the, there were some sheriffs in Southern Utah arguing for this um, at the legislature. I don't believe these scanners were installed in Southern Utah. No, not the fixed location scanners on I-15. The DEA has installed those in a dozen other states, and they wanted to in Utah. Uh, they 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 faced some opposition from my committee, uh, and they withdrew the request. So to my knowledge, they haven't been installed, although the, the scary thing about that is the DEA made it clear all along that they didn't feel like they needed our permission uh, to install those. They were just asking as a courtesy. So I, I really don't know what they've done. Mm. So would would you uh, maybe under the framework of uh, of legislation perhaps that you introduced that was passed to set some parameters, would you be in favor of installation of these by the DEA? I actually don't like the uh, the fixed. Uh, I don't like the idea that as a society we're we're going to say if you if you travel on I-15, uh, your plate will be scanned 100% of the time, and we're going to keep that. The DA wanted to keep it for two years. Um, th- that bothers me a lot more than just you know a mobile device that may catch your license plate in a Walmart parking lot or as it's driving past you kind of randomly. Um, you know, it, the, the, the fixed device location to me has a much stronger big brother creepiness about it than just the mobile devices. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sheriff Richardson, I, I wonder what your your view is. You, of course, you're using the mobile, right? I wonder what your view is the fixed uh, scanners would be. You know, uh, the cost of these uh, devices are are extensive, so we don't uh, we have not purchased anything uh, uh, within our department uh, as a fixed uh, type of a. A meeting to to utilize it, but the the reality comes back to uh, on a national level, the ACLU is is really pushing this, and and like uh, the senator said uh, about the utilization of the information that it comes comes back down to, and and uh, uh, I look at this as as being one of those uh, cases where uh, you have to, in order to have uh, safety in this society. You have to ha- have some of these devices in place in order to provide uh, a security for the uh, citizens of this uh, state and, and my county. And uh, just north of me in Weber County, um, they have a, a real-time crime center where they're using uh, cameras throughout the uh, uh, county and, and the city and of Ogden, and and it's it's phenomenally working uh, well for them. Uh, this is kind of a, a different. Uh, variation of that real-time crime center and uh and you know as long as we have uh structured parameters where law enforcement uh, uh work under uh, i don't have any problem with it as long as the legislature's looked at it and uh, uh given us the parameters to to work under again and and uh and we stay within those boundaries we just have about three or four minutes left in this conversation. I want to broaden it out just to the technology. Of course, the technology is exploding, and, and with any technology, there's good and bad. Maybe starting with, uh, with Sheriff Richardson. Uh, on the one hand, technology like this um, can really help law enforcement. On the other hand, it really complicates your job, I would imagine. Well, you know, it, it doesn't uh, complicate it as much. It makes it more uh 
timely to do things. Uh, for instance, uh, Senator Walla talked about uh, getting a, a subpoena in order to utilize that information. I have no problem uh, with our detectives uh, getting a subpoena to utilize the information uh, that's stored. Uh, it, it's just increasing the timelines that it takes to do an investigation on a case, and, and I think in many ways it adds the validity uh, because you have a signature of a judge that's uh, following it. Senator Weiler, we live in a world where it seems like everything's videotaped. You've got the, you know, mobile phones, you've got the security cameras. Uh, famously in, in England, they have you know, those, those cameras yeah. everywhere. Uh, and, and so technology can really help, but on the other hand, it, it can bring up sort of a big brother aspect. Yeah, and I think it's different. You know, quite frankly, uh, we are now as a society posting more information uh, about ourselves on Facebook every day than uh, than most subpoenas would garnish, uh, you know, from 10 or 20 years ago. And, and But the difference is, is that's, you know, if, if people are voluntarily or private citizens are videotaping each other, to me that's different than the government doing it and the police doing it and then storing it and 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 searching it and prof, you know and, and profiling it and so you know I, I do I agree with you and I've had a few e- emailers um, contact me and say well what, what if uh, someone took a picture of Justin Bieber you know entering that hospital this week to visit that seven year old girl and it captured a picture of somebody coming out of the hospital and it's on the front page of the Tribune and uh, yeah, and that person had lied to his wife about where he was how is this any different because you're kind of capturing that data if you will well the difference is the government's not involved. And I, I can't control what private individuals or the media does, uh, but I am a state lawmaker, and, I, 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 and my job is to set policy for what the state does, and, and I think that's the difference. So you will be introducing this legislation in in the sessions. Look favorable. I, I think we'll get something. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure. You know, some people have told me the six months is way too long, and other people have said, you know, if we have a warrant, then why would we ever want to delete the data? I'm not sure where that's going to come down. And like I've indicated, I'm I'm fairly flexible. More than anything, I I, I want to have the debate. I want to get the stakeholders' input, and I want to set a policy. And we can change it. You know, if six months turns out to be too short or too long, you know, we can come back in in a year or two and and change that. But uh, like Sheriff Richardson said, we need to we need to keep it long enough so that you know. A, you can figure out if you need to use it, and B, you have the time to go through the procedures to do so. So I, I think the proposal of 12 hours or, or three hours, I think that's just, you know, too short. Uh, but, you know, other people are saying 30 days and other people are saying two years. So I'm not sure where that pendulum uh, is going to stop swinging. We've been talking with Senator Todd Weiler, Republican from Woods Cross. Thank you so much. Thank you. And uh, Sheriff Todd Richardson from Davis County. Thank you so much. Thank you. And uh, we have an interesting program coming tomorrow. We're uh, putting together a program, we hope, on uh, guns and violence in the wake of the Sandy Hook shootings. Of course, we're all thinking about that. And in Moab, for example, uh, there there's a proposal to put sheriff's deputies in every school. Uh, one town, Spring City in San Pete County, is uh, a city councilman there is proposing that there's an ord- be an ordinance that would require everyone in the town to, to have a gun. So we're going to talk about this issue tomorrow on the program. We'll uh, close right now with this comment that came in uh, after the uh, our discussion on Dixie State College. Uh, Here's what uh, he describes himself as a local wise guy. I'm surprised the former president has joined the local bullies that have threatened the college and with uh, withdrawal of support if the Dixie is, uh, where Dixie is removed. This stance underscores a parochial attitude illustrating intolerance for new and different ideas. You can continue this discussion online at upr.org. Just click on Access Utah, by the way. For producer uh, Shalane Smith-Needham, I'm Tom Williams. Thanks for listening.
Welcome to Wild About Utah, a partnership of the Stokes Nature Center, the Bridgerland Audubon Society, and Utah Public Radio. This is Linda Curvin for Bridgerland Audubon Society. In the icy short days of winter, you may think that nature itself is curled up to hibernate. Our gardens are drab and deciduous trees are stripped down to bare limbs and twigs. Many songbirds have bid us farewell and flown south. In truth, where remains to be seen and heard of nature here in winter is more subtle and less boisterous. Now is the time to learn calls and songs of birds that reside here year-round, to hear them in solo performances before the confusing springtime symphonies of birdsong. This first bird calls its own name. Black-capped chickadees take sunflower seeds one at a time from our feeders. When out snowshoeing or skiing in our forests, inquisitive chickadees are welcome companions. They bring joy to a wintry day. Frequently, a winter chickadee flock includes other birds. This bird sounds like a child's squeak toy, but that nasal call belongs to the red-breasted nuthatch. Look for this chunky small bird at your suet feeder or cruising up and down tree trunks in its search for insects. We also have a minimalist in our winter bird repertoire. That single note belongs to the Townsend solitaire, which looks like a lean robin colored the somber gray of an overcast sky. In winter, solitaires dine predominantly on juniper berries. Their call stakes out their winter feeding territory. They are regulars at our heated bird path, perhaps washing down all those puckery berries. If you are lucky, you may also hear their musical warbling, which is more common in warmer months. You often hear chickadees, nuthatches, and solitaires before you see them, as their plumage is neither colorful nor splashy. If you notice these calls on a winter's day, it is because you are quiet and focused on the nature around you, leaving civilization's hubbub behind. Thank you to Kevin Culver for his wonderful bird recordings. This is Linda Curvin for Bridgerland Audubon Society. Wild About Utah is a partnership of the Stokes Nature Center, the Bridgerland Audubon Society, and Utah Public Radio. For transcripts and archived audio of Wild About Utah, go online to upr.org and click on the Wild About Utah link. Support for Wild About Utah on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our listeners and the Quinney College of Natural Resources at Utah State University, where students and faculty promote the sustainability of ecosystems and the communities that depend on them. Information at cnr.usu.edu. Access Utah is a production of Utah Public Radio. You can listen to this episode or previous episodes of Access Utah anytime at upr.org, where you can find a link to subscribe to our podcast. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD1 89.5 Logan, KUSK HD1 88.5 Vernal, KUSL HD1 89.3 Richfield, KUST HD1 88.7 Moab, and KUSU FM HD1 91.5 Logan. The time is now 10 o'clock.